Taylor Decker's on my all 22 fantasy team, by the way. Stop. Stop it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Taylor's I don't care, and I'm in the league. I'm just trying to hype up the future of fantasy football here. They told me we could hype it up. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. That's one of the uh, cardinal my rules way. of broadcasting. Regardless of the medium, they don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right? Your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is gonna it's gonna change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town with goals down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. Hello and welcome to the All-22 Podcast. The All-22 Podcast is designated to discussing all things NFL in relation to the All-22 Fantasy game. All-22 is the first and only fantasy football platform that uses PFF grading as the foundation for its scoring and uh, has All-22 positions on the field. Uh, I am here today with my co-founders and partners, Bobby Acker and Ray Cotto, and I'm Kristen Barty. Hello, everyone. That was an emphatic welcome, dude. Yeah. I think you're like, I think you're getting the hang of this. It's the second time we're doing this, and you're like a seasoned pro. I've been just listening to Sam, Steve, Austin, trying to like rip some smelling salts before the show, drink like six glasses of coffee, get myself ready. I like it. Yeah, we need coffee a smelling Chris. salt sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, we need some sponsors. I, I do. I do agree. What was the? What's the smelling salt we use for baseball? Uh, rhino something. Atomic rhino, that's what it is. Yeah, I was going to call it something rhino, else, baby. but I'm, yeah, atomic rhino sounds more accurate. Yeah, we have a fun name for it on the baseball field, but uh, we'll leave that there. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Wonderful. So, you know, I mean, every day is one day closer to the NFL draft. It's like the greatest time of the year. Mm-hmm. So, can't be better. Yeah, I'm happy to be home but- today. I was in the office yesterday uh, for my day job. Four hours of commuting time, kicked my kicked the hell out of my leg running to the train with like dress shoes on, literally like blood on my ankle. Uh, very happy to be home and talking football with you guys. Best day of my life. Very, you're very coordinated, Chris. You sound very coordinated. Very coordinated athlete. Yeah, no, absolutely. Kicking yourself not. running to the train. We, pandemic. I haven't been to the like the real gym in almost two years. I told you last uh, last week was my first time back, so trying to trying to get it back, Ray. Yeah, I can tell you haven't been there in a while. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I don't want to say anything, but I mean, you said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. Don't don't piss off Bobby. He's just gonna take pot shots at you all day. That's that's my goal for this episode. Just don't piss off Bobby again. Last episode yeah. we took a tally of how many compliments he gave. Maybe this one is just how many times he like just like rips us down. Yeah. I yeah. think there was three. And I have to negate all three of them at some point within the podcast. So there's one right there. Good. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I had a dream that I, bro, I had already pissed him off before we started recording. And he was mad at me because, like, I wasn't on time for the recording of this podcast. In reality, I was. He was just two hours early. Is that a That's real just... story? Yeah, that, that, that was my dream last night. He's like, dude, are you guys. recording? I'm like, dude, we're recording at 11, and it's 9.05. Like my tweets, respond to my texts. I'm a happy guy. Yeah, yeah. How does that make you feel, totally. Bobby, that like you're, one of your coworkers is having bad dreams about you just being mean to him? I mean, just have a really good friendship. You know what I mean? I think that's all that means. I'm not looking at any, any, anything past that. You know? <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> makes you feel powerful, but uh, that, yours was a nicer response. Yeah. 
Let's do it. Let's jump in. What do we got? Ray. Ray's going to bring up a topic for the day, just like a quick conversation topic, and then we'll get into the actual podcast topic. But Ray, take it away. Yeah, so news of the week. The uh, the Eagles and Saints trade. Um, lots of moving parts. Super weird trade overall. Um, but essentially, the Eagles uh, received pick 18 in the first round of, of this year's draft. Um the Saints' third-round pick, pick 101, the Saints' seventh-round pick also this year, and then the Saints' first-round pick next year and a second-round pick in 2024. And they gave up the 16th pick in the first round of this draft, the 19th pick, and uh, pick uh, number 194 in the sixth round. So lots of weird moving parts here essentially the eagles go from having three first round picks to two uh this year and then picking up they pick up a second first round pick next year and the saints uh now jump into uh the first round have a second first round pick this year uh, and give up their first next year those are the big pieces but uh made a lot of waves so i guess what, what, what are your guys uh, thoughts on this first thoughts i think that's a lot let's um let's do a screen share and uh, <laughs> let's bring up the, the graphic of the trade just for reference while we, uh, we dive into this. I mean, I love seeing it. I love seeing some momentum getting closer to the draft. Here's my thing, right? Like, so you guys can see the, the graphic now, right? Yes. So you're the Saints. You just got these two picks. I'm like, you got to think you make a move like this for a quarterback, right? You're trying to stockpile picks this year so you can move up and go get one. In my opinion, I don't think you do this so you can go up and get a tackle or an edge rusher. I don't think you do that. If I'm a team like the Jets or the Giants, and I'm going to go trade back with the Saints here at 16 or 19, I'm not doing that if I don't get a pick next year, which now the Saints don't have. So I, I really couldn't like this less for the Saints. Yeah, I mean, they have to be doing it for quarterback. But saying that, I, so it would only be logical if they were doing it for a quarterback. But everybody, you know, we've seen it all over Twitter. There aren't great quarterbacks necessarily in this draft, so this wasn't necessarily the, the right draft to do that trade. I think the other thing that makes it strange is your point, Bobby. They didn't trade up enough to guarantee that they're going to get one of the top one or two guys. Um, and then just besides that, you know, they they do that, but like the Packers trade they made a few years ago to get um, the defensive end Marcus Davenport, Davenport, right? It's they they have a history of doing trades like this to not get quarterbacks, and people were talking about how that trade was one of the worst draft trades in history because they gave up so much draft capital to get a non quarterback, and Davenport didn't even really end up becoming a difference maker, and it's been three probably three years now, and he's still not really like anywhere close to elite. If that's the route they go, who are they taking? A tackle? I, I see, to me, all the elite tackles are going to be gone, right? They lost Armstead. So, yeah, the tackles are going to be gone unless you're going to reach for someone like a Bernard Raymond or something, which that would yeah, that would be Penning's something. Too. Yeah, I think Penning's even going to be gone. I mean, I that's just what teams do. I, I wouldn't take Penning at, at you know 16 or 19 personally, but I, I think it doesn't make sense unless the Saints are making another move to move even further up into the round. 
And so, like, you know, I'm no insider, but if you guys remember, I did text you guys about a week ago saying, hey, keep an eye out for, like, either the Saints or the Steelers to make a move up into the first half of the first round for a quarterback. And so the only thing that would make sense would be for, you know, for this to just, you know, be the, the prelude to another move up in the draft. I think they have their eyes on the, you know, the Panthers picking at sixth. Panthers might take a quarterback. I think any of the quarterbacks this class are probably a reach at six, but well, the Panthers are in the in yeah. the division, right? So they would have to move beyond six. They'd probably have to trade up to the Giants pick at five, or even maybe the Lions pick at two, because there's a chance the Lions pick a quarterback. That desperate teams do weird things. If, if you're desperate for a quarterback, you're just you're bound to make some unsound moves. <laughs> I think. Uh, it, this this year is not the class to do this to, to make big moves for quarterbacks. I mean, at least in my opinion, you know, of course, you know, one could hit, and if you've you've got conviction about a guy at the position, you go for it. But I mean, I think if you look at this, whoever you have as as your number one quarterback in this year's class, if you put them, you know, and you compare them to last year's prospects, are they above any of the first round quarterbacks that went last year? For me personally, no. Yeah, no shot. Even, uh, I think it was Mel Kuyper who was saying that if, I don't know how you guys feel about Daniel Jones, but they said if he was in, if Daniel Jones was in this draft class, he'd be the first quarterback taken by a mile. Like, what does that say about this draft class? Like, it's, it's, it's this quarterback draft class is awful, awful. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people are focusing on the Saints because of that, right? You're saying, okay, well, they must be making a move up for a quarterback this year or whatever. But for the Eagles side of things, I think it's interesting too because, you ha- we have this discussion about, okay, comparing this class of quarterbacks to last year's class. So people are saying the Saints or the Eagles made this move because, okay, you give yourself a second first-round pick next year, so you get another year of Jalen Hurts to see if he can prove himself to be the franchise guy. And if he's not, great, you have this extra ammo. You can move up to get your quarterback next year. But, I mean, if, 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 if he hasn't sold you to date that he can be the guy, I mean, yeah, players improve, but leopards don't change their stripes either. You know what I mean? It's not like he's, at least in my opinion, it, I, I find it hard to believe he's all of a sudden, if you're unsure of him now, after you know 12 months from now, you're going to be so sure of him because of his performance this year that now your franchise strategy changes. So with that being the case, maybe you should have taken your shot last year in last year's class because there's no guarantee just because you have two firsts next year you're going to get your guy if a quarterback needy team is picking number one overall next year you could want and love bryce young or cj stroud all you want you're still not going to get them because that you know that team picking first overall is going to you know going to get first dibs and you know so i don't know it's it's a weird i I like the move for the eagles but they are in a bit of a peculiar spot too at the most important position so despite all the good moves they're making it's still a little dicey on their end at least the way i see it yeah my first thought seeing it like people are pretty low on jalen hurts and i'm a jalen hurts guy i think he's i think he's pretty good i think you could build a team around him and this whole time looking at the eagles picks i'm thinking you could use 16 and 19 to start building a pretty good team around around Jalen Hurts. Um, so I was a little surprised at first when I saw they did it, but then you know, you dive into it, you see the haul they get. <laughs> you got to be dumb not to do this. Yeah. The Eagles cl- clearly won this trade. And, and I think that you can't really blame them for not going into the quarterback class last year because they didn't necessarily have enough on Jalen Hurts to make a decision. And they also didn't have the offensive line or the weapons around 
of quarterback to really be sure of it. Jordan Mailata took a huge step up last year, right? Wasn't, so like, that wasn't a guarantee. That wasn't something that was a known fact, right? So you now know that the offensive line is solid. You now have Devonta Smith out wide. You have the weapons around Jalen Hurts, and you say, we have two first-round picks this year that we're willing to dedicate to making your situation better, even if that's on the defense, right? That still makes his situation better. Um, let's, see, let's see what he does. Let's see what he becomes this year. Give him that shot. And then next year, we decide whether or not he's the guy. If he's not, you now have two first-round picks to do something with and get a quarterback, move up and get a quarterback, even if you have to trade a future one, right? Because you've had all these extra perks, you have the contract flexibility on your team because you've had all these picks, so you can do that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I will say I'm always for kind of if you have the guy, if you think, even if you think you have the guy, use everything that you have to make his situation better so that you can win. And it almost feels like the Eagles are hedging their bet a little bit and not doing that by trading one of the first this year. What do you think, think about that? I mean, I had enough on Hurts before they even drafted him, but that's just me personally. <laughs> um, I just don't think you win, kind of like you said, hedging your bet, right? you got to have some conviction with these moves. And the other thing is, too, I mean, the NFC is so wide open. And, again, I, I mean, if I'm the Eagles GM, I'm taking this trade all day. I think they're the clear winner of this deal. But, I mean, is it really – it's probably more likely than not that – you know, you have another, what, nine and eight season. You probably sneak into the wild card because the NFC is just such a weak conference overall. Um, you know, you're a wild card team. You're in the playoffs this year. So great, you have two firsts. Um, but, you know, you might still be trying to move up from the back half of the first round to get a quarterback. And there's a chance you miss out on, you know, the top two guys in next year's class. So are, are you just going to be sold on, you know, three quarterbacks next year as franchise guys? Maybe. Um, I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. I, I think there's still a clear winner, but I think there's a lot of uncertainty there. And so if you're kind of hedging and, you know, it doesn't sh I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, this time next year there's still kind of a, a wishy-washy sort of is Hurts the guy, is he not? Do we Are we able to get a franchise guy or are we not from Philadelphia? I, I think they're kind of still – I could see them still being in that middling sort of purgatory state even after this move. I think that's only outside the building. I don't think that's inside the building at all. Well, Bobby, you, is there, yeah. you made a good point because, like, I think in traditional fantasy, people last year were super excited about Jalen Hurts because because of his rushing ability. Mm -hmm. But when we drafted in All-22 last year, I think there was a lot of skepticism, people not thinking that Jalen Hurts was go going to be the guy that was going to grade well, but he did, right? He graded yeah. fairly well. I, 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 did, I did, like, a, a breakdown of – we were doing, like, best landing spots for some DBs. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? Any DB that lands in the NFC East is probably going to do pretty good, especially if he lands on the Cowboys because he's not going against good quarterbacks. So I'm looking at Wentz, Daniel Jones, and Jalen Hurts, and I'm assuming that all three of those guys are garbage. <laughs> I'm going through, and I'm looking at Jalen Hurts specifically. I'm like, wow, this guy grades really well. I, I can't make as strong of a point here because Jalen Hurts isn't bad. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think a lot. Like I said, I think a lot of the hate comes from comes externally. I don't think. I agree with that. I don't think if you're the Eagles, you can look at him and say this is this is definitely not my guy. I agree with that, and I think we've seen that the Eagles have made strong pitches to get another receiver and a true number one. You know, Devonta Smith is going to be a great route runner. He's going to get open, but he might not be the guy that you want to be your number one 
you're throwing, you know, jump balls in the end zone too. So they still maybe mm-hmm. need that. They have Goddard as well. But if you add that number one receiver, he will have no excuses. And I think that offense could do really well, especially if they are able to put their picks towards their defense. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like what, what implications this has. Tying it back to all 22, what kind of implications this, this, this trade has on our game, you know? Who's going to go at sixteen and, and nineteen now for the for the Saints? Let's say let's say they can't move. Is there a quarterback there that just kind of falls down and and that's who they just they take there? Is it, is it Pickett? Is it a guy like that? Um, yeah, very 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 interesting. Well, well, do you think the Saints are a good landing spot for a quarterback? Given that they they have I know they have two first, so I mean they could always use a second first round pick on an offensive player. But Sean Payton's got right. They have Dennis Allen now at, at head coach, so more of a defensive guy. Um, you have Michael Thomas kind of, you know, coming off of, you know, a year plus absence, essentially. Um, you know, is that now favorable or is it a favorable landing spot like it used to be? I mean, I, I was a big Sean Payton guy. Pretty much if if, Sean, if if you had Sean Payton's stamp of approval, I I would just defer to him. That, you know, to me, he's a yeah. wizard. But that's that's no longer there. So Crazy what a difference that makes. He's not there. And I, honestly, I'm staying away from all those quarterbacks. So I have like a slightly different take because I agree with you. I think losing Sean Payton is is the most important thing that could have happened, and it's horrible for that team. Saying that, they have a history of drafting really well. I don't know how much Sean Payton influenced that, but it's true, right? They, I think over the last 10 years, they've been the most successful team drafting, and you see it consistently. Like they consistently find guys different rounds of the draft that are not just impact players, but like star players. So... If there was a team to trust, are they that team? No. <laughs> <laughs> he said it. I'm not going to disagree. Okay. Okay. I think I would take the chance. I think if, if I saw uh, Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis, if one of those guys goes there, I don't, I don't think it'd be a terrible thing for that culture. I think it would be a good fit. Um I think anything at this point is really an upgrade over Winston. So I, I would, Here's I would like my it. thing. And, and this is the only way it becomes a little more attractive for me to take a rookie quarterback. If you're the, if, if, if the Saints get one, right? Mm-hmm. It's if they stay and that's at 16 or 19, somehow, somehow they get a tackle and, and like the second quarterback off the board, let's say. That's the only way that like it becomes like, okay, maybe I'll take a flyer on him. Um, but I, yeah. Another, in general, I'm staying away. Another interesting thing about that, though, is it's it's been proven that running back uh, quarterbacks that can run often improve offensive line performance. Right, it makes it a lot easier for those offensive linemen to do their job. You saw it kind of last year. Lamar struggled, but they you know they lost both of their starting tackles. But the plan was we're going to trade away one of them. We're going to keep Ronnie Stanley as our left, and you know, Lamar will do enough with his legs to make that situation easy or make the, make it easier for those guys to perform and we can get by with, like, a lesser offensive line. Maybe if they get a Ritter, that happens there, right, where the offensive line isn't such a big concern. The Ravens' case might also help that they're, like, always in three tight end sets. <laughs> but, um, but that's, no, I see your point. I see your point. I think, I think Ritter there, get a, a good enough tackle. And it's funny, too, we're talking about the tackle class, right? I saw, and I think, Ray, you mentioned insiders before. Like, you're not an insider. 
one of the insiders on on Twitter was posting about Charles Cross and the and the intel that he has that he might fall either plus or minus two picks from the 15 spot. So can you imagine getting if you're the Saints getting Cross and then coming back around and getting a guy like Ritter or, or whoever falls to you know that that 19 spot? Be super interesting to see that. Sure, if you, if you want to hope, I mean, hope is hope is one strategy, I guess. <laughs> Not my opinion. I'm just, and it, and it was, and he made it clear it wasn't his either. It was yeah, just yeah. based on on intel. We see. All, I think. Go ahead, Ray. I was say people people look at last year's class and for as heralded as the as they were as as quarterbacks, right? A lot of people are saying, oh, they kind of underperformed a bit, right? You know, Trevor Wilson, Lance didn't play. Um, you know, aside from Mac Jones, etc. But in, in a startup, right? Most of most of the users listening here, right? They're going to be in startup drafts here at all twenty two. I'm I'm still taking all of those guys from from the previous class before I even if it's a good situation for whoever lands in in New Orleans, right? Say New Orleans does get the quarterback they like and an offensive tackle here in the first round. I'm still taking a Wilson or a Lance that before I take a a Ritter, for example, if if that's who the you know who's the guy in New Orleans. Um, that's just how I'm still ordering them, and that's that's my ranking anyway. Um, you know, if I'm starting something up here in all 22. Yeah, I don't know if Agreed. I. I don't, I don't know if I agree. I think I would definitely take, depending on what the Jets do, I think I would consider taking whoever the Saints get. If it's one of the running quarterbacks, I'm considering taking whoever the Saints get, as opposed to Wilson, and maybe hot even take. Hot take. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> If it's if it's Kenny Pickett, if it's a guy that has to sit in the pocket, yeah, I want nothing to do with that that player in that situation. So you guys know, hot take is code for I disagree. <laughs> and then when you do agree with something, if you're Chris, you don't say that you agree. You say I don't disagree. That's that's Chris talk right there. Well, I got so the hot take knows. thing from Austin Gale. Like I said, I've been taking notes. Mm-hmm. I've been drinking my coffee, trying trying to grow my mustache out, like trying to take as much notes as possible. And that's what he does. He says, hot take, hot take, and I'm here for it. So if you weren't able to join us for our first podcast episode, I highly recommend that you do that. We took uh, all of the listeners through the website and actually shared the screen so that you could see all of the features and unique graphics that we um, are going to be providing. If you have a chance, I highly recommend that you do that. It's uh, in our YouTube link. You can go to our Instagram or Twitter to find that if you haven't uh, found it yet. And then just going forward, today we are talking about our grading system and kind of why we chose it and how it's different. So I want to jump into that and start to really introduce that topic. Um, Yeah, so like during our walkthrough, we went through the matchup page and my team page, and we showed you that exact equation, and Bobby's sharing that now. Uh, We take the PFF weekly grade, we multiply it by the positional weight, we get the all 22 score. So we're going to do that for all of your players to give you your all 22 score. Today, I want to really jump into where the idea came from first. And let's start with the PFF weekly grade. So Bobby, I'm going to ask you to start talking about that piece. Yeah. So that actually kind of dates back to like when we first had the idea, sorry, for all 22. Um, I remember, I remember we were we were drafting our or setting up our dynasty league and thinking and saying to you guys, you know, if the three of us, the three of us were general managers of teams in the same division, right? If we were actually building a team in the same division, 
my team is going to start the season automatically looking at that that schedule, and I'm automatically four wins because I'm kicking the crap out of both of you guys twice a year. Um, but there was really no way to to prove that using stats in the traditional fantasy format method. So kind of wanted something that would be more indicative of a player's complete performance rather than just box score statistics, right? I mean, if I think even Austin Gale said it on Good Morning Football today with uh, Sauce Gardner. There's, there's times where Sauce Gardner wasn't showing up on the stat sheet at all because nobody was targeting him. So the stat sheet will almost tell you that he wasn't even like part of the game. But what it's not telling you is that quarterbacks aren't targeting him because he's doing his job so well. So he's not showing, he's not getting tackles, pass, def, uh, pass deflections, interceptions, anything like that. Um, so we wanted something that would encompass the true um, quality of, of each, uh, each player's performance on the field. And then we feel like uh, PFF grades do that. Yeah, last episode, I think Ray maybe mentioned Blake Bortles because that was the year we had that barbecue and had that idea because Blake Bortles was like one of the top players in fantasy. In the fourth quarter, he got all of his points because they were the Jags were down by 30 points every game and he was just throwing Hail Marys at the end of every game. And right. it was a horrible way to play fantasy football. Right, you get a guy like that who has value because in the first three quarters, he's, he's playing awful. And then in the last quarter when, you know, the game's out of hand, he's getting all these, these garbage points. And then there was another, another year later on where we saw it again with, with Jameis Winston. He threw 30 touchdowns, but also threw 30 picks. And it's like, you know, you shouldn't be able to win with that. And guys were winning with that. So felt like that was, that was wrong. Um, so I, I think PFF grades do a really nice job of, of replacing statistics and, and measuring, like I said, the quality of, of the performance. Yeah, looking at Blake Bortles specifically, to your point, Bobby, if he was having three bad quarters, you know, the, the base grade of 60 would start getting chipped away at, and it would get down lower and lower and lower. It might end up like near 40 or 30. And then in the fourth quarter, yeah, maybe he has a, a good quarter where he's making some big-time throws, and it might bring it back up. But one quarter as opposed to three will still keep that grade probably in the 50s. So you're not gonna like you're not gonna get that same boost. Like yeah, maybe it won't be a terrible performance at the end of the day, but it'll still be a pretty bad one. One that you don't want for your starting quarterback. And with how heavily we weight starting quarterbacks, it's probably enough to give you an L. Right. Exactly. Um, you, you get a bad performance from your quarterback, you're you're losing a game, um, and that's not always the case in fantasy, but that is the case in all twenty-two. Absolutely. What other examples do we have? Because I'm thinking it's Blake Bortles. It was Jameis. I thought Jameis was a really good one. Who else? And I'm yeah. trying to think of other positions too. So, yeah. So we actually, I remember we used to talk about this one example of like Kenny Clark blowing up a play, right? It was back in the day when Kenny, Kenny Clark and Blake Martinez were on the same team. Um, we would see times where he'd blow up a play and Blake Martinez would come in untouched and, and make a play in the, in the backfield. And Blake Martinez gets all the credit for that, tackle for a loss, tackle, whatever. And there's Kenny Clark picking himself up off the ground and nobody's you know, celebrating with him. <laughs> and he did all, all the heavy lifting. So again, PFF grades see that, capture that, um, you know, that aspect of, their, of, of his play and take that into effect. So nothing's going unnoticed. It's like they say, it's every player, every play, every game. 
Ray, what about like Trayvon Diggs? I think that's probably another good example. Yeah, down to down, he's not the most, you know, consistent, you know, cover corner as far as just, hey, sticking to my man being in phase. Yeah, yeah, he'll give up some catches, he'll give up some yards, and then he'll make a big play. Um, so, yeah, in traditional IDP, you get the big play, you know, whether it's interception. If it's interception or a touchdown, that's, that's huge, right? Um, and, you know, there's credit for that in our grades as well. I mean, it's an impactful play. It's going to be impactful in our game also. But we are taking into account, you know, the catches he gives up as well, the yards that are given up, um, you know, on a down-to-down basis, whereas someone like a Tredavious White, who may be a, a more sort of consistent player, you know, down-to-down, but doesn't have, you know, a, as many highlight picks or, or, or turnovers or takeaways, um, you know, is still – incredibly valuable to the game because we're not just recording those volume stats, right? Or if you look at linebackers at the second level, right? Um, you know, just just because you're you're a pile jumper or you're making tackles seven yards, you know, downfield, you know, we're not giving a linebacker credit for that, right? Jalen Smith can rack up a bunch of tackles because he's slow to the hole and, you know, the 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 front's giving up five yards a pop because of it. And in IDP formats that's great. You know, on one drive, he's getting four or five tackles. So, you know, he's racking up the points. Real life, he's, you know, you're getting shredded. Um, Our game accounts for for that as opposed to just, you know, just counting tackles or or counting stats. Yeah, you can't have a guy that's slow to the hole, right? You know, unacceptable. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Yeah, I think think Diggs is a great (laughs) example of that because in IDP, he's he's like a Hall of Famer last year. But in in our game in All-22 – He's going to have like a, a good year, probably like a pretty decent year. Might grade out average, though, because he's giving up a ton of big plays in addition to the big plays that he's having. Um, and we're not, we're not here to trash on IDP because we do think IDP is a lot of fun. You know, like fantasy is about having fun. So there is a place for that. But we think this is going to be a lot more fun to those people that want something that's a more accurate representation. So like going from the PFF weekly grades, which is the first part of our scoring system, Ray, I'm going to ask you to talk about the positional weights, which is the second part of our scoring system. Yeah, so so we didn't want to have just, you know, some sort of standard just count up the, the player grades of all your players that are starting, right? Because, um, you know, different positions have a different impact on the game. Um, if, if my center has a 55 grade for the game and my quarterback is, you know, has a 90 grade for the game, um, you know, I, I probably win. If my quarterback has a 50 grade and my center has a 90 grade, you know, for, for that game, probably not, you know, probably not winning, right? You need, you know, the, the performance of the quarterback is more impactful um, to wins and losses than that of a center. So they're both important and they both have a place in the game. But uh, in order to measure the impact of different positions, we couldn't just tally up, you know, everyone's weekly PFF grade from 1 to 100 and, and you know, see who has the most. Um, so, uh, you know, we took a, a lot of different, uh, you know, looks at how best to do this and trial, trial and error. And basically what we came up with was, um, you know, the NFL is telling us how, you know, how impactful these players are by how much they pay, um, you know, the best players at certain positions. So, um, you know, I think anyone can hypothesize that, quarterbacks have the highest impact on the game, followed by maybe an Ezra sure or, or your offensive tackles and so forth. And so that bears out with how the NFL is paying the top players at these positions. 
So we looked at these top uh, these players that are being paid the most at these positions and basically said, okay, if we can just add these up, add the sum total of the highest paid players at every position, what percentage of that total would each position represent? So almost like a franchise tag value um, in the sense that we're taking, you know, the top five average salaries for each position and tallying them up and then um, weighting them as a percentage. So very similar to the franchise tag, if you're familiar, but, um, you know, it's some subtle differences there. And so, you know, that that's a way for us to eliminate bias just because, you know, someone might think that edge rushers are more impactful than cover corners or, or vice versa. Um, but if the NFL is paying these players a certain way or the best at these positions a certain way, then that's the, you know, let's remove our biases from it and just follow the, the, the you know, the leader and how the league does it. And the cool thing about this is that we recalculate these weights every single season. So as the league evolves and positions become more valuable to these teams and teams pay the best players at these positions, either more or less as time moves on, our weights will adjust accordingly. So um, if you look at, if we were to do this exercise 10 or 12 years ago, running backs would probably have a much higher weight than they do now. But maybe 10 years from now, depending on how the game evolves, if somehow running backs are getting big second contracts again and, and they quote-unquote matter, then you'll see that reflected in our game. So as the game evolves, our game will evolve also to reflect that impact. So it's not going to get stale or dated as we move along. Um, I think I think we definitely tend to get long-winded talking about this. And, and Chris, to, to your credit, you always do a good job of simplifying this equation by saying grade is quality. And then the positional weight is impact. So our formula takes in the, into the into account both of those things. And I just realized I gave you another compliment, so I'm gonna have to say something mean wow. to you later. We'll take it. Or donate to charity or something. I don't know. Uh, I know Sam and Steve are running a charity right now. Uh, Sam is gonna recreate a Patrick Mahomes' brother's TikTok video, and Steve is gonna do the NFL Combine. So. I expect to see Bobby Acker donating to one of those, if not both, uh, after the show. What do we think? Take a screenshot. It's terrible. Okay. <laughs> you, you complimented him, not me. So it's on you. It's on you, pal. I know. I said it. I, I was like halfway through. I'm like, God damn. <laughs> oh. Cool. Where are we going from here? So Ray touched on a, a lot of really cool things there. He, One thing he said is that NFL, you know, this is how the NFL does it, so that's how we're going to do it. And I think that's a trend you're going to see throughout our podcast, and we're just going to keep harping on it, is if the NFL does something a certain way, that's how we're going to try to do it. We're going to try to replicate what they do as best as we can. And then another thing that I think Bobby touched on is how the positional weights change year over year is going to end up being part of your strategy. And we're going to dive into, like, more strategy stuff as we go on this podcast. But looking at, for example, you know, uh, Kyle Pitts get, getting chosen four overall, and seeing Travis Kelsey and George Kittle get paid over the last couple of years, we're already seeing changes to the tight end position as that gets more valuable. So that's all strategy things that you need to think about as you're playing this game. Is that a position that I want to invest in? So guys, what do you think about us jumping into that part of this conversation? Like how does this, how does this weighted system impact the strategy that you choose to go down uh, as you're, as you're building your team? Yeah, I, I definitely think we haven't seen the end of the, uh, you know, we haven't seen the end of the line for edge rushers increasing in value. So I feel like 
I'm still going to keep investing pretty highly in, in edge rushers. I mean, look at look at the top of the last few drafts, right? We've got the Bosa brothers going in the first, you know, top five picks. We have an Aiden Hutchinson in this year's draft, probably going to go number one. Uh, Thibodeau is probably going to go top five. So I don't think we're seeing the end of this. I think this is going to be an ongoing trend, and I'm definitely going to hop on that. Positions that affect the pass, right? It's edge, it's corner, it's receiver, mm-hmm. it's quarterback. Seems like those are the positions that people are investing in. So I, I would agree with you. Yeah, I would also say too, because of how we structure our game, where it does mirror the NFL, right? Just think, even just it's draft month. The draft is coming up, right? So, yes, some of these positions are more important. But if you do have a player who is just that good, you don't want to pass on him to reach for a player either, right? So, uh, like for example, yes. You know, edge rushers are worth more. Uh, they're weighted more heavily. They're more impactful. But I'm not going to pass up on, you know, Micah Parsons at linebacker uh, to draft Jalen Phillips just because he's listed as an edge rusher either, right? So um, a lot of that real-life strategy does come into play too, right? Yes, you want to take into account position premiums and, and build your team to be strong at the positions that matter most. But there's a BPA element to this too overall. Um, and BPA again is the actual best player available as opposed to, you know, the guy who records the most stats. So, uh, just something to keep in mind too, for sure. I definitely echo what these guys said. Um, but, uh, just be mindful not to reach for certain positions either, just because you feel like you have to take them early. So we talked about edge and Ray, you're saying, you know, Michael Parsons as a linebacker might end up giving you better results long-term than say like a Jalen Phillips, Phillips reaching on an edge. I think that's a good segue into the conversation of how how does this equation make you start to think about positional scarcity as well? Uh, you know, we, we did some research and we found that like linebacker, tight end, uh, was it like guard and center? Like those positions, yeah, like yep. mm-hmm. those positions, there wasn't a lot of like top talent and there wasn't a lot of top talent that consistently created at the top. So how does that affect what you're doing during the draft? Trust your board. I, yeah. <laughs> go, go ahead. Trust, trust your board. But honestly, too, right, like linebacker is really tough. It's really tough to find guys that grade consistently well. And there's some of my drafts where I'm, I'm collecting picks between rounds five and seven, four and seven, and I'm probably just going to keep throwing darts at linebacker, hoping that, hoping that one of those guys hits. But I'm only doing that because, you know, my center position is okay. I'm, like luckily I invested in that early and I got mine. Right. If I didn't do that, I'd probably throw my darts at centers, probably throw my darts at linebackers and positions like that. Um, but yeah, definitely. Um, position scarcity is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the other side of that too, right. I- I'm not saying, you know, you don't pass on Jamar Chase. If he's, if he's the highest guy, you know, on your board, he's, he's the BPA just because there's lots of good receivers, you know, in the league, you, you know, there's a bigger quantity of those, those guys available that can help your team out. But there is a large amount of receivers that can help your team out that do grade well in the league, right? So, um, you know, if, if Chase is your guy there and you're able to get him early on in your draft, great. It, and I'm choosing Jamar Chase as an example. But if not, you know, don't fret. You can pivot. And at least you know um, going in that, okay, certain positions are deeper than others, like wide receiver, for example. Um, so, you know, if I miss out on the top guys there, I'm okay. I know there's good enough depth to fill my roster later on and still get quality players at those positions who can contribute for me. 
uh, and maybe then I can focus on uh, you know some of those other you know positions where there is scarcity as far as players who will grade very well and see if you can get some value add there. So um, don't reach for for positions that are scarce just because you feel like you have to get a good player at, at center or linebacker. Um, but at the same time, you know, don't reach for, for the high-end premium positions, you know, either just because you feel like you have to have one. So trust your board, don't reach, and everything will work itself out. Yeah, it's a balance, right? And I was thinking about it, too, from our inaugural league draft, and that was the one that I was really successful in because I actually was one of the last ones to choose. And because this is a dynasty game, um, most of the people that we played with were going after the young stud quarterbacks that have come out in the recent years. And we're living in like one of the best times in the NFL where like there are a ton of young stud quarterbacks to be excited about. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Like there, there are a ton of them, right? But once those guys are gone, once that like, those six or seven guys, Kyler Murray, those six or seven guys are gone. Does it make sense to draft a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson's still pretty young, so I'll include him in those young guys. But does it make sense to get one of the older guys at the end of the first round, early second, early second round? Or do you pivot and say, okay, most of the guys in the league went and got their quarterbacks. So do I not draft Aaron Rodgers? Do I wait and I get a quarterback next round or the, the round after and I draft one of those elite edge rushers? I get the first, you know, high-end player, Jamar Chase, off the board. I get him early and I start building my team that way, knowing that I could get one of these quarterbacks that grades well, um, but is a bit, a bit older and people will, will uh, devalue. I think you need balance, right? Because I think the more that you look to build your team for winning for tomorrow – and the less you focus on winning today, there's a lot of uncertainty between today and tomorrow. You know what I mean? So I feel like you definitely need some sort of some sort of balance there. Chris is the one who said Kyler Murray uh, in those top quarterbacks, not me, just saying. Um, but uh, yeah, totally agree. It's, it's definitely a balance. You don't want to go skew super young and you know just betting on upside at the at the start. And then you look back, you know, after your first season or your first two years, and then you go, okay, wow, 40% of these guys that were young and had upside, they didn't hit. So now I have a lot of needs and, you know, a lot of holes to fill on my team. And I'm not able to do that all in time to really contend, um, you know, within a certain window. So definitely, definitely a balance, um, you know, just going back to my principles, trust your board, don't overthink it and don't reach. Is there any other strategy component you guys want to talk about today? Today? No. I think uh, <laughs> a big one, and, and, and we'll talk about this in our draft guide too, is a lot of people tend to go name over grade, and I, I hate that. I hate that. I remember guys in, like, in, the, in the startup drafts, right, picking Jamal Adams, who was grading like, in the toilet around like week 15. Uh, around round 15, sorry. And thinking like, he he might not, he might just not fit here. He might just not be, a, a, you know, a good fit for the Seahawks. And that's what you're seeing. But there is a very real possibility of that. And I think we saw that confirmed a little bit more in this past season. And now people who wasted a 15th round pick, whatever it was, got burned pretty good by going with name over grade. So... Definitely a cautionary tale there. That's 
That, that's actually a really good point. It's something to consider when you're drafting rookies, whether it's in your startup draft or your, you know, your, your rookie draft uh, thereafter, is you definitely want to account for fit, right? You don't have NFL data to work off of. Um, so just think about that because Jamal Adams was a very high grader, one of the top guys in the league when he was in New York. And obviously the fit now with the Seahawks, it just hasn't worked out. Um, so it's something to consider uh, if you're in a startup draft and you're looking at a veteran who's now going to a new team or you're looking at rookies, you know, it, it kind of goes into the conversation we had with quarterbacks uh, earlier this episode. But, uh, yeah, consider fit. It's a good point. Who, who, who was it when, when he left? I think it was Greg Williams who was like, yeah, he's not going to have fun there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you remember that? You guys remember him saying that? Yes. Yep. And now we look at the grades and it's like, yeah, he's probably not having fun. <laughs> Probably. I don't know if you'd be having more fun in the Jets or not, but he's probably not having fun in Seattle, especially now that Drew Locke's is quarterback. There you go, Chris. There's a burn for you. Appreciate that one. Yeah, I'm Chris just, is a big Drew Locke guy, by the way. Big, by the way. big Drew Locke guy. I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. talk about my bad takes, but one bad take I will say: something that we could all share in and we could all lament, lament with is Saquon, right? I think we saw people drafting Saquon in all 22 startup drafts very early, and uh, Ray went to Penn State. Bobby's a giant fan, and I spent like almost all of my dynasty picks on Saquon Barkley being the future of my team, and we all got burned. But I think in all 22 specifically, we saw people doing that a lot, picking Saquon over other top running backs because of the name. But it's not about the name. It's about how he grades, and that's what the focus should be. Yeah, don't make the same mistake the Giants did. Build the line, okay? Mm-hmm. Build the line before you go get your name brand running back. But it's, yeah, again, that's 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 the worst because you go there, you're going name over grade first of all, and second of all, you're not accounting for position scarcity or position value. So I think that checks all the wrong boxes. Yep, and just to think about it a little further, right? It's easier to grade well if you have a great offensive line and you have to make players miss in the second level, right? It's really hard to grade well if you have to make players miss as soon as you're getting the ball in the backfield before you're even back to the line of scrimmage. Um, so, you know, again, going back to the fit argument, you got a running back there who, who's, you know, who's young, might, you know, has, has some explosiveness or whatever, and he's behind a good offensive line. That's going to bode well for their grades, right? Maybe if Saquon had my pet cat, Akeem Aquanu, blocking for him this upcoming season, he might grade a little bit better, but we'll see how that turns out. But, Again, fit is another thing to consider, and, and I think that's that's really what sort of drives this point home. Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, my main focus when I'm playing a new game is understanding how do I win. In all 22, it's following that equation. It is PFF grade times positional weight, which gives you your all 22 score. We do that for every position. We sum it at the end of the week, and that is your team's all 22 score the better of the two scores, you versus your opponent, wins that week. So that is how you win in all 22. Over the next week, we are going to be releasing on social media a lot of posts that show you the players that were the top of their positions in 2021 in terms of scoring. So you can start to see kind of how the scoring adds up and how positional weight times grade is, you know, gives you such a different grade for different positions. Um, yeah. Any, anything else, guys? No, I'm just, I just can't wait for the draft. I can't wait to open this game up so everybody can draft. And I can see how other people are doing it because we saw pretty limited sample size of, you know, 250 people, whatever it was. But once we, once we start to scale this, I'm, I'm curious to see those ADP rankings and see what, how other people approach this. 
I'm even maybe more excited to see the guys that played last year doing the rookie draft this year and seeing how their strategy changes completely after having a year <laughs> under their belt. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be throwing throwing all their picks at those uh, the centers, linebackers, those guys that we talked about before. <laughs> Probably. Not if you got those Micah Parsons shares. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening today. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to learn about All22. We're really excited to bring this to you. And if you haven't yet, please be sure to go to all-22.com to sign up for our um, newsletters and to get more information on our release date, which is set for uh, either later this month or early next month. Um, yeah, we're really excited to have you. And also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at all22 underscore PFF. That's it. Hit the like, subscribe buttons. Yeah, I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. Made myself proud. Say, so look at me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They picking me now.